Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, greetings to all of you on this uh, Family Day weekend. I want to welcome all of us here at Center Street Church, those of us meeting here at Central Campus, as well as those meeting in our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. And I also want to say hello to our online viewers as well. Today, I want to use the occasion to speak on the theme of family and present to you what the blueprint of a godly family looks like. Let me confess something. Outside of weddings, I've never preached on the theme of family, marriage, or parenting. I always thought there would be other people who can do a better job than me. In three weeks' time, on March 7th, my wife and I will complete 10 years of being married. So, <laughs> we're reaching an important milestone. We have four kids, so it looks like something is going right. So maybe I'm ready to speak on this topic. You know, when I was growing up in India, student drivers were required to uh, put a sign on their vehicle, both in the front and the back, with the letter L that stands for learner. I'm no marriage expert. I still drive my marriage vehicle with an L sign attached to it. (laughs) You know, on a serious note, as pastors who are in the forefront of ministry, we know problems related to marriage, Parenting and family relationships are so widespread in the world as well as in our churches. And I can't think of a more relevant and timely message than this one. Today I'm primarily addressing the nuclear family, but some of the principles that I'm sharing will be broadly applicable for all of us. And more importantly, I believe every Christian needs to know Uh, what the scripture has to say about uh, raising a godly family because there's so many people in need today and you can be a blessing to them. So don't tune out on this message saying this doesn't apply to you. Now most books and sermons on marriage and Christian family start by giving statistics from Pew Research or Barner survey and you heard it over and over, there's nothing new. One out of two marriages end in divorce The divorce rates in the church are almost on par with the world. 80% of kids raised in Christian homes uh, don't follow the Lord in their uh, uh, adolescent age. You know, we heard all these statistics, and many of these statistics actually are questionable and sometimes exaggerated, but they do indicate the problem that we have in our world today. You know, as a result of these gloomy figures, there is a sense of weariness and pessimism that's associated with marriage and parenting in our culture. To the point our younger generation is tempted to give up on the institution of marriage and family. Many of them are wondering, when the situation looks so bleak, what chance do I have to raise a successful family? But the good news is, we don't have to be dictated by statistics. Our faith tells us God is more than able to turn things around. Amen. So for a moment, I want us to forget about all the negative reports on marriage, parenting, and family that's being painted in secular magazines and media and look to the Bible. Because when you open the pages of the Scripture, you will not find a pessimistic, negative view of marriage and family. 
It is first and foremost an institution blessed by God. It's not our invention. It is God's invention, and therefore it is good. And in fact, it delights God's heart to see our family life thrive and flourish. And that's the encouragement that I want to bring to us today, that you have heaven's help available to make your family life successful. We're going to take a closer look at a psalm that outlines the blessings of a godly home. So we're going to look at Psalm 128 for today's reading. I've asked my son, who is six years old, uh, his name is Adarsh, that you come and read the scripture portion for us. So Adarsh, if you can come up now. Yeah? Okay. Psalm Psalm it's okay. <laughs> so, it's on. Yeah. It's on. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, he has a story to tell about his first uh, public speaking experience. <laughs> Let me read it for us. Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. Do you join with me in prayer? God, as we come before your presence, we realize the challenges that we are facing in our culture today in the area of parenting and marriage. And I know there are a number of hurting families that are sitting here right now. But we pray, O oh God, that you will speak to us in a fresh new way, in a way that you alone can. And you will bring encouragement and hope to every one of us. God, may your spirit minister your word in a powerful way to every family that's gathered here, to every individual. So we commit this time to the leading of your spirit. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, author Eugene Peterson writes these words that I found to be fascinating. Hear this. There is a general assumption prevalent in the world that it is extremely difficult to be a Christian. But this is far from the truth as the East is from the West. The easiest thing in the world is to be a Christian. What is hard is to be a sinner. Now, that's a very interesting perspective, and I agree with this. It's because when you're a Christian, you are in line with God. You have Jesus by your side, and you have all the resources of heaven open for your disposal. But people who don't have the Lord in their life have to do everything in their own strength. In fact, Jesus looked at people who were outside of his fold and he called them weary and burdened. But the yoke Jesus offers is easy, and the burden he gives us is light. 
Therefore, it's not the Christian who has it hard, but it's the non-Christians. And that is true of our family life as well. In fact, that is the message of Psalm 127 and 128. It's hard to raise a family if you're not following the Lord. It is difficult and challenging to have a happy marriage when you have to depend solely on your resources to make it work. But the people who walk in God's ways have a big advantage. We have all of God's blessings to help us thrive in our family life. I'm not saying it's going to be effortless or smooth sailing at all times. But what I am saying is the success of your family life is not entirely dependent on your efforts alone, and that makes a big difference. When God becomes part and parcel of our family, the blessings start overflowing. Because it is the nature of God to bless. And God does not bless us grudgingly. He's eager to bless us. There's no one who delights in seeing your family thrive than the Lord himself. Now, isn't that encouraging to know that all of heaven is rooting for the success of your family? And I don't care what the statistics have to say. If the God who made heaven and earth is on our side, then he's got you and me covered. Psalm 128 is called a marriage prayer, and it was sung in Jewish marriages. It opens with these words. Verse 1, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. God will bless a family, but He also puts a condition or a requirement It's not any family that God would bless, but it's a family that fears God and walks in His ways. The Bible uses the word fear at least 300 times in reference to God. Fearing God, as you know, is not about being afraid of God. It's not the negative connotation of fear that paralyzes us. Fearing God simply means taking God seriously. A family that fears God is a family where God is the true head of the household. It is a home in which the principles of the Bible take precedence over the culture. A family that fears God is in alignment with God, and therefore they are positioned in the right place to receive His blessings. What does this blessing refer to? It's not speaking about endless riches or a luxury car or a million-dollar home, but the blessings are presented in the context of relationships. Because we know of people who have all those stuff but are living miserable lives. The blessings of God refer to a deep sense of well-being. It's speaking of a quality of life that is abundant and full. God's blessings offers us fulfillment regardless of the circumstances. So the most important question for your family is, are you in sync with God? Then and only then you're qualified to receive the blessings.
Psalm 128 speaks of how these blessings are reflected in four areas of our life. Work, marriage, parenting, and lastly, our society. I'm going to touch on all these aspects today. Look at what our text says about work. Verse 2, you will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. So here is God's promise to bless your work. Work is such a major component of our life. And contrary to popular notions, work is considered as good in the Bible. So it's not something you have to endure till retirement and finally you get to hang your boots. But God promises to make our work joyful and fulfilling. Now who doesn't want that blessing? It's Monday morning and you're excited to start your work week because you know your work is so fulfilling it brings the best out of you. But when you're out of alignment with God, we have a problem. Because oftentimes, work starts driving you and dictating all your decisions, and it can even ruin your family life. The previous psalm, Psalm 127, talks about futile labor. In Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, we find... Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. The psalmist is not commending laziness here. But he's talking about the futility of work that is done in our own strength. When we work as though everything depends on us, then we are denying the power of God. The world around us may value such relentless, compulsive work habits and may even reward you for that. But God certainly is not impressed with it. The workaholic who spends hours and hours at work ignoring all other responsibilities is working in vain, in futility. And the end result of that is stress and anxiety and work becomes a burden and it's no longer good. But here's the promise for a God-fearing family. You will eat the fruit of your labor. God will take care of your needs. In an agricultural society, all the work and toil may go into tilling the soil, planting seeds, watering them, but all of that is futile unless God makes it possible for you to eat the fruit of your labor. The New Testament equivalent of this promise in Psalm 128 is Matthew 6.33, where Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When you give God the number one place in your life and set him above all affections, when you as a family is dedicated to honoring God, 
then you don't have to fear or worry about who is going to take care of your needs because God, your heavenly Father, promises He's going to care for you. And that is an incredible promise to hold on to in a time of economic downturn in our city. God Himself will meet all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You're secure in His hands. The second realm of blessing that Psalm 128 talks about is your marriage. Biblical marriage is not a social contract. It's a sacred covenant between a man and a woman that is made in the presence of God. When both the husband and the wife have individually aligned their lives with God and they enter into this covenantal union designed by God, something remarkable takes place. This covenantal union increases the capacity of both the husband and the wife and their effectiveness in advancing God's kingdom. Honestly, I can't think of how my ministry would be like without the support that I receive from my wife. So as couples, we become all the more fruitful in our endeavors for God. Now, Psalm 128 is primarily addressed to men, and it's speaking to husbands about the blessings of this covenantal union that is lived in the fear of God. And you will find two beautiful word pictures in our passage. Here's the first one in the first part of verse 3. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. A wife is being compared to a fruitful vine. Grape vines were a common sight in Israel. And you need to know that a, a vine is a climbing plant that requires support. It's usually tied to a, a pole or a post or a fence. The vine cannot drag itself on the floor. It needs something to cling onto. It will flop if the support is not sturdy. So the psalmist is saying, when a wife has the security and stability of a godly husband supporting her, she bears much spiritual fruit. I'm going to speak to husbands for a few minutes now. Wives, you're going to be so happy that I did. Mind you, I have something to say to you as well. So don't take a bathroom break at that time. But let's uh, straighten the husbands first. The most important calling if you're a husband is to step up to the task of spiritual leadership over your household. There is no higher calling than this. God has given you the ultimate task of leading your home. Many problems we see in our world today can be traced to men not playing the role God intended for them. And God just doesn't give us men a title that we are the spiritual leaders of the house. It is an immense responsibility he lays on our shoulders. If leadership is influence, then spiritual leadership is the responsibility of influencing everyone in your home to follow and to serve God. 
The husband has to set the spiritual tone in the home. He has to crank up the spiritual temperature in the household. The husband, like Joshua, has to make a declaration on behalf of the family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is a responsibility God gives to you. At the core of true leadership is initiation. A leader doesn't wait passively for ideas. He's often the instigator, the one who makes the first move. Husbands, God wants you to take charge of the spiritual direction of your family. Because you are the pastor of the house. It means you are the one who has to initiate prayer and family devotions. You should make it the priority to drive your family to church on the weekend. Not just when it's convenient, but at all times. You, as the leader, should initiate and plan for dates with your wife and ensure that you're giving her quality time. Remember how well you did it during the period of courtship? That's how you won her heart. When communication breaks down between you and your wife, you cannot be content to keep moving on. You have to take the initiative to resolve it. When you speak harsh words to your wife or to your children, you will have to humble yourself and apologize first. If you're that kind of a servant leader who is submitted to God's authority and walks in his ways and lead by example, your marriage will flourish. Your wife will bloom like a flower. Your children will excel in all things. Your family life will thrive for God's glory. A husband is to be to his wife what a fence or post is to a line, her support and strength. Husbands, you build your wives when you speak words of encouragement and affirm her on an ongoing basis. You provide her security by taking care of her needs and the needs of the family. You offer her support by being caring and understanding. When you take time to nurture your wife's heart, you will see that her capacity to love grows. And you will be an instrument God will use to help your wife grow deeper in her spiritual life. When the vine is being nourished, when it is attached to a reliable support, when it is well taken care of, it starts bearing fruit and you see clusters of grapes start appearing everywhere in the vine. And that is a beautiful picture. The image of a fruitful vine is a woman who demonstrates the grace and fruit of the Spirit. She's a woman who excels in all that she does. She's charming and she flourishes in her responsibilities in the home. 
She satisfies her husband. She encourages and nurtures her children. She demonstrates a radiance that people around her can feel and be blessed. And more importantly, she's happy on the inside. I tell you, when the wife is happy, everyone in the house is happy. You know, I've talked to several wives in our church who are waiting and yearning for their husbands to take on the mantle of spiritual leadership over their home. It doesn't help when men are just passive and uninvolved in the affairs of the family. Men, we have to break that passivity and step up to the responsibility of being a God-fearing man who leads your family up front. Okay, that's enough. I know my wife is feverishly taking the notes so she can keep me accountable. Let me speak to the women. When God says the husband is the head of the family, It doesn't mean he is superior. Both the husband and the wife are equal in their being. They both are made in God's image. You are equal partners. But you're not equal in your function or in the roles that you play. Your roles are different, but you complement each other. And we have to be careful in our culture today not to flip those roles. When your husband is putting efforts to be the spiritual leader of the home, you as a wife, you have to affirm his leadership. Help him, come alongside him, and encourage him. You ought to respect his godly initiatives and respond to them because your husband feeds off it. To respect means to hold in high esteem. Let me ask you, do you hold your husband in high regard? Or do you belittle him with your words and actions? It doesn't help if all you're doing is pinpointing his flaws, his mistakes, and the things that he's not doing. It doesn't help when you yell at your husband in front of the kids. The more that happens in a family, you will see the husband will emotionally distance himself. Your husband is not perfect. And I don't think I need to convince you about it. But when you see that he is taking baby steps to lead your family in God's ways, be his cheerleader. Tell him that you believe in him. That will mean a world to your husband. When you respect your husband's authority and leadership, you are inspiring him to lead well. I want to move to the next realm of blessing that Psalm 128 gives to us. It's to do in the area of our parenting. You find the second word picture in our passage, the last part of verse 3, Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. 
Olive shoots are, are little olive plants that have the great potential to one day become strong olive trees. But it needs to be nurtured. Olive shoots are a symbol of uh, productivity and longevity. Olive plants take almost 15 or more years before they turn into trees. But if an olive plant is nurtured correctly, and some of these varieties can produce olives even up to 1,500 years because their roots go so deep. A tree does not bear fruit overnight. It will take tender, loving care for years in order to help them to become fruitful trees. And that is a great picture the psalmist gives us about our children. Our children have incredible impact to bless that generation. When we raise them in an environment of faith, when we train them in the ways of God, and when we release them at the right time, they have such potential to make a difference in the world. Did you notice what the psalmist is saying? Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Let me speak to you for a moment about the significance of the kitchen table. The table is not just a place for eating. It is an opportunity for nurturing, sitting, and spending extended family time. It is the context to disciple the family. It's the place to have visitors and display Christian hospitality. There's such potential and promise surrounding the kitchen table. But the problem is, today our tables are empty. The supper table, which is the prime opportunity for the dad to function as the pastor of the home, to lead the family in spiritual conversations, to talk about God, and to find out how everyone's day went, we give that sacred time to television. Kids sometimes have iPads and tech devices, even when they are eating. Many of us rush through dinner times because we need to get to our next appointment. And in so doing, we squander the best opportunity of the day to teach our children and lead our family in the ways of God. We need to start leveraging our supper times to engage in family devotions and spiritual conversations. Another way for us to pass on the legacy of faith is by modeling it for our children. They need to see it in action. You know, for a long time when I had my daily devotions, I wanted to keep my kids away because I thought they're going to be a disturbance to my prayer time. So I'll have the room closed. But it occurred to me one day, if my children don't see me in action, reading the Bible and praying, how will they understand the significance of these things to the Christian life? I felt convicted, so I decided that the room of the door will be open, the door of the room will be open, and the children will be allowed to walk in anytime, and they can even play in that room. You know, the other day I was reading my Bible, and suddenly realized that a cricket game was going on at the same time. So I opened my laptop just to get the score. 
my four-year-old is uh, standing right behind and he looks at me and he says, Daddy, that's not important. This is your time with God. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and I had to reply sheepishly, you're right, that is not important. I'll go back to reading my Bible. You know, if we think our little children cannot see through our hypocrisy, then we are kidding ourselves. Because four-year-olds know very well when what you're saying are mere words or are they lived through your life. Let me talk to you briefly about the final realm of blessing Psalm 128 gives to us. It's to do with the society. The family is the building block of the society. The reason our society is in chaos is because our families are messed up. And the way you take care of the problems of the society is not by bringing some sweeping policy changes in the government. It starts with fixing the problems in the home. That's God's design. So Psalm 128, verses 5 and 6 tells us, may the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. You see here a reference to the prosperity of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. Because when the individual family is blessed, the blessings overflow to the city and to the nation. For them in the Old Testament, it was Jerusalem and Israel. For us today, it is Calgary and Canada. God's desire has always been to advance his kingdom through families. And if we want to see our city and nation transformed, it will take Christian families to live out the gospel in all its fullness. When a God-fearing family walks in ways that are pleasing to God, their work is blessed, their marriage is blessed, the children are blessed, and as a byproduct, the city and the nation is blessed as well. And the impact reaches the succeeding generations. You know, it blows my mind to think about the impact we can have when one family makes the determination to live all out for God. The ripple effect of that will be seen across generations. And I shudder to think about the consequences of one family being alienated from God. the impact of that decision that the generations will pay for. Let me say this in conclusion. Our psalm opened up with talking about how blessed are those who walk in the fear of God. It reinforces this again in verse 4. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. The word yes could be translated, look, 
Behold, take notice. This is how the person who fears the Lord will be blessed. It's stated so emphatically. What it means is all of these things are not earned by following a set of formulas, by working according to an equation, by reading the right books or going to the right seminars. It's not achieved by self-determination alone. These are the blessings of fearing God, an extension of God's grace to those who walk in His ways. When God is the true head of your home, and you desire more than anything else to honor Him and walk according to His precepts, then God graciously grants us these blessings. It's an old hymn called Showers of Blessing." The hymn writer based the song on a promise he discovered in Scripture in Ezekiel chapter 34, where the Lord says, I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forest in safety. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. Interestingly, this is the only place in the scripture where you see the phrase showers of blessing. God is talking about a covenant that he is going to make with his people where he will get rid of the savage beasts, do away with anything and everything that are a threat to his people's well-being and welfare. And he will give them peace and rest. His own shalom will be granted to his people. And the Lord will not just trickle his blessings, the blessings will come like a shower. The blessings here simply means the supernatural favor of God. It is the unlimited goodness of God that he longs to impart to all those who walk in his ways. And there will be showers of such blessings. The unlimited goodness of God will be lavished on his people. The hymn writer meditating on this promise caught the vision of these showers and he gives us a visual picture of what they look like. There shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing sent from the Savior above. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we bleed. There shall be showers of blessing, precious reviving again. Over the hills and the valleys, sound of abundance of rain. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we bleed. This is what I want to leave with you today. God delights to shower His blessing. He loves to honor His word and His promises. Let's not settle for anything less 
for our family. We desperately need showers of God's blessings today because our families are hurting. And there are so many savage beasts around us that are bent on destroying our homes, our marriages, our children, and our families. All of hell's forces seem to be on a joint mission to knock down the very fabric and foundation of our society. But hear this. When God showers His blessings, the savage beasts will have to flee. They have to be evicted from your household. They will be rendered powerless and their evil influence uprooted. When God showers His blessing, hearts are transformed. Love is rekindled. Marriages are restored. Families are healed. Forgiveness will flow. The lost ones are found. The peace and shalom of God will take over our households. And we don't just receive the blessings. We become a blessing to so many. as I asked God how to close our service I felt the prompting that I should give you a time to intercede for your family to say to God Lord I'm not content with the mercy drops send the showers that our family my marriage my children my generations will walk under showers of blessing. I'm going to ask all of us to stand right now. Now Mark is going to play for us softly on the keyboard. And I want you to use this time to pray together. If you come here with your wife, this is an amazing moment for you to join hands and pray. If God puts on your heart, feel free to walk here up on the altar. And that symbolizes your intercession for your family. So kneel here on the altar and pray and cry out to God to come and honor His promises, His word in your family. Let's maintain a moment of silence and give an opportunity for you to pray.
Father, we come before your presence today, humbly acknowledging our need for you. Lord, I pray that you will make a covenant with every family in our church, a covenant that will bring showers of blessing. We pray, Lord, that these blessings will heal relationships, will mend broken homes, will rekindle love. We pray as a result of that our marriages will be restored and start thriving and bear fruit for you. We pray, oh God, that children who are not walking in the faith will be brought to the household of God. They will be brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray as you shower your blessings, our families, oh God, will be a lighthouse for you to declare the power and the glory of the gospel to a world that is lost. So Lord, we invite you at this moment to do what you alone can do, that you will come and honor your word and you will shower your blessings on us, even in this place, Lord Jesus, that you will be exalted in our lives, in our families, that we as households will come under your leadership and lordship and walk with you all the days of our life. We pray that, Lord, generations will be impacted as a result of this decision that some of us are going to make today to serve you wholeheartedly. Oh, God, we pray for your grace, your enablement, for your will to be done in our lives so our families can thrive. We pray, oh, God, that you will fix the brokenness. I pray for those who are hurting today, there will be no spirit of condemnation here, but only a spirit of gentle conviction from your spirit that will bring healing and draw us closer to you as a community. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise even as we leave this place. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. 